Good singing this morning. I invite you to take your Bibles and join me in Philippians chapter 4. We had a little bit of a break from Philippians by having missionary Kyle Klein speak last week. If you weren't here and you missed his uh, missionary presentation in the ABF hour, that is on YouTube. I encourage you to look that up on our YouTube channel and uh, and really get a, a sense of Kyle and Natalie's passion for a very secular nation, the Netherlands. Um, I was talking to him Sunday afternoon, you know, what other missionaries are there that you can partner with? And he said, well, it's just the ones that, uh, that, are, um, that have been there for many years. The Boyds have been there. There's two families, uh, two generations of the Boyds. Some of you know them. You're shaking your heads. Yeah, I know them. Uh, David Boyd and his son Daniel. David is uh, preparing to retire uh, somewhat soon, so uh, when um, when the Kleins get over there, uh, they're not actually adding missionaries because we're just replacing. And uh, they're with, I think they're with Baptist Missions. ABWE actually has zero missionaries in Holland, and Baptist Missions has just the Boyds at this point. So a, a very actually unreached nation. Uh, so we we're glad to have them with us last week. You found Philippians 4, right? We are in the mind of Christ. We are trying to adopt the mind of Christ. Most of the book of Philippians is uh, setting the theological groundwork for uh, how we should think and act like Jesus. And then as we get into chapter 4, we have this fairly lengthy list of applications of, of ways that we can take what we've learned about uh, adopting the mind of Christ and then live them out in a practical sense in our everyday life. So in chapter 4, Paul is giving us a challenge to live like the examples that we saw in the previous chapters. We had the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus, men who sacrificed for the cause of Christ. We have the examples from Paul's own life, who even though he had um, great advantages in, in just in life, in the, the family he was born into and the circumstances he was in, he abandoned all of those advantages that he had so that he could be abused and imprisoned for the cause of Christ. And of course, most importantly, Paul challenges us with the example of Jesus who humbled himself for our sake. In chapter 4, verse 1, you're challenged to stay firm. Stand firm or stay faithful. In verse 2, there were two women who were admonished specifically to agree, to remain faithful to Christ by mending their relationship with each other. In verse 3, we saw that the congregation of believers were to remain faithful to Christ by helping these women to mend their relationship. And we uh, could could apply that to ourselves, that we have a responsibility to help each other grow in Christ. Last time, Pastor Dan preached from verse 4 and commended us to remain faithful by being joyful. I don't know about you, uh, perhaps you were surprised to see that Pastor Dan could get a 40-minute sermon out of such a short, short, short verse. It's okay, because there really is a lot to draw out of a command such as be joyful. Today also 
is a short verse, but has a lot of depth to it. Our big idea this morning is we are to remain faithful to Christ by our godly reputation. You notice the theme, every verse so far in chapter 4 has been about being faithful to Christ. Uh, This week it's being faithful to Christ through our reputation. So let's read our passage together today, our verse for the day. Philippians 4, verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Let's pray. Father, we have just a short, short verse today. And yet, because it impacts each and everything that we do, uh, there is is much for us to glean from it. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to understand what, what you intend for us to understand from this verse so that we might go from this place and live it. In your son's name I ask. Amen. Our first point this morning is we are to be others oriented seems pretty clear let your reasonableness be known to everyone the lord is at hand Uh, it it seems pretty clear here don't be obnoxious instead be reasonable let's close our bibles and go home no there's more there's much more it's true believers in jesus should not be obnoxious that's not what paul is trying to communicate in this verse Uh, that word translated reasonable in the English Standard Version that I read from, uh, is an interesting word in the Greek. It can be translated as reasonableness, as gentleness, forbearance, moderation, graciousness, and consideration, or being considerate. That's a lot of words. Anytime you find that there are a lot of words being shown as a translation equivalent, in fact, as I looked up this verse in in various English translations, there were very few that had the same word. When you find that there are lots of words showing up as a translation equivalent, you can be assured that none of them are actually a good translation equivalent. It really takes all of these words together to give us an idea of what the full meaning is. And here's what I mean. There are just some words that do not exist in other languages. And this is not just a Greek to English phenomenon. This is not just something that happens uh, as we're trying to translate the Bible from the original languages into English. This happens in all sorts of languages. For instance, there's this fascinating German word I learned this week. And I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, but I'm going to try. Backpfeifengesset. Does anybody know this word? It means a face that needs to be slapped. (laughs) Isn't that a great word? Now, we don't have a single English word that means precisely that. That's a good word, isn't it? Back to reasonableness. The lexicon, the, the Greek to English lexicon, describes this word as being gentle and kind and tolerant. Gentle, kind, and tolerant. One commentator put it this way, it is that considerate courtesy and respect for the integrity of others which prompts a man not to be forever standing on his rights 
and it is preeminently the character of Jesus. Let me read that again. It is this character quality of being considerate and, and courteous and respectful for the integrity of others that prompts someone to not stand and insist on his own right. We live in rural America. This is not our natural bent. We, we know our rights and we demand to have them. And this word reasonableness means I'm actually more interested in you not being taken advantage of. I'm more interested in being courteous and respectful to you, even if it means that my rights are impinged. That's an awful lot of meaning coming from one word, isn't it? So there's this overshadowing element in the de definition of this Greek word that, that actually doesn't make its way into any of our English translation, and that's the element of selflessness. Putting others ahead of ourselves. Think back to that list of words that I said could all be translated from the Greek into the English. It's reasonable, gentle, forbearing, moderation, gracious, considerate. That's six different words, and all of these words have one thing in common. They all are an outward-facing attitude. All of these words require being thoughtful of others, being reasonable, gentle, forbearing, moderate, gracious, and considerate. All of these words require thinking less of ourselves and more of someone else. Is this not having the mind of Christ? Is this not reflecting the character of Christ? It is. Jesus, just, just by the virtue of him leaving the glory of heaven to come to earth, did this for us. He put our needs first. He didn't insist upon his own rights, did he? In fact, isn't that our theme verse? Elijah, could you put that up for us? Let's say our theme verse for Philippians. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself to the point of death even death on the cross. How much of that was for his own sin? None of it, right? He did it for us. Putting someone else ahead of your own rights and needs. Our calling is to reflect our Savior to the world around us. And if we do it well, we will get noticed The Philippians did not need nearly the explanation that we do about the definition of this verse. They got it in that one word. They understood Paul to mean that their demeanor was to be one of kindness and respect. This demeanor of not insisting on being treated well. That we would more, be more interested in treating someone else 
well than having that returned to us. This reasonableness or gentleness is one that seeks the good of others without, without even a thought as to how it would negatively impact themselves. This reasonableness is a character quality that means you are not easily insulted or injured. In today's parlance, it, would be, uh, it means you're not a snowflake. This reasonableness is not a natural characteristic of human life, is it? So really, to fulfill this calling, to do as Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, uh, you have to have the new birth. You have to be a new creation. You must be saved. Now, of course, the book of Philippians is written to believers. That's understood. But, but do you see how salvation is required for this to actually flow through and be normal in our lives? Because it's not normal to set aside your own rights for, for the benefit of others. It's not normal to, uh, to resist being insulted or injured because of adversity that comes our way. Second Corinthians 5, just a few verses for you. Second Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. He's saying that now, the love of Christ dictates how we live. He died for us, so we die to self. He goes on, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Then just a little bit further down the passage, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold the new has come. It is that new life that Paul is imploring from us in Philippians 4, verse 5. That our reasonableness, that having this, this full understanding of reasonableness that, that Paul wouldn't have had to explain to the Philippians, but, but we need to have it explained. That, that this full understanding uh, would help us to understand how we should be faithful believers, how we should be found in contrast to the rest of humanity. We are to be others oriented secondly we are to be known let your reasonableness be known to everyone many of the relational commands given to the church are primarily to be practiced within the body of christ within the body of believers within the members of the local church for example first corinthians 5 11 says this therefore encourage one another and build one another up that command is given for within the body of Christ. We are to encourage one another. This does not mean that we are to be discouraging to those who are not part of the church. But, but what it means is that there's this relational command that needs to go back and forth. God isn't just saying in 1 Thessalonians uh, to uh, just be encouraging to everyone. He says, no, be encouraging to one another. So that means I encourage you and you, in turn, find a way to encourage me. And, and it's more complicated than that. I encourage you, and you encourage someone else, and that someone else encourages me. We're all in this together. It's a one-another 
command. Anytime we see a command to believers that is in the context of each other or one another, uh, it's a two-way, it's a back-and-forth command. What we see in Philippians 4, verse 5, however, is not a one-another back-and-forth within the body of Christ command. This is a relational command that is for us to live out in front of all people. Here's my point. Philippians 4, verse 5 is not giving us a command to be nice to our brothers and sisters in Christ, though we should be nice to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our command is how we relate to every human we come into contact with, even the ones who might otherwise annoy us or need that German word applied to them. No, this is about how we relate to every human we come into contact with, and it's actually more than that. It's broader than that. Paul is talking about our reputation, and that would include people that we don't come into contact with but have heard about us, right? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now, don't take this to mean that we are to be like a schmoozy, sleazy politician who does whatever it takes to be liked. The end goal is not for everyone to like us. You know that, right? How many of you, if you're honest, say it, but I like to be liked? We do, right? That's not what the verse says. Actually, the word of God says quite the opposite. John 15, verse 19, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Yeah, I know we like to be liked, but the word of God tells us that if we are living godly lives, the world, the, the unsaved populace, is going to hate us and why wouldn't they we believe that marriage is and can only mean the union of one man with one woman and we're hated for believing that any other form of so-called marriage is an abomination we're hated for that not only do we believe that the marriage is the union between one man and one woman uh, we believe also that, that that marriage should not be dissolved until one dies, right? We believe that divorce should be off the table. Whereas the previous point of marriage between a man and a woman only makes a certain number of people in our society hate us. This last one, uh, believing that marriage should last until one or both die, that makes a whole lot more hate us because they want to have that option of if, if things are going south in my marriage, I can pull the divorce ripcord for whatever reason or no reason at all. And that's just marriage. The world hates us for a whole lot more than that. Go around and tell people that Jesus is the only way to be saved. You're going to find lots of people that hate you because they want all sorts of ways to be saved. They want to be able to say that because I am a good, upstanding American citizen, I'm going to find myself in heaven when I die. 
We could spend the rest of the day talking about all the reasons the world hates us. The world will hate us. But if they're going to hate us, it should not be because we're self-centered. Right? If, if there's going to be a reason for them to hate us, it, it shouldn't be because we're jerks to them. No. Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. So they may hate you and they may disagree with your stand on a whole host of things. But they should still recognize that, hey, they're reasonable, they're gentle, they're kind, they're generous, they're forbearing, they're moderate, they're gracious, they're considerate. We are to be others-oriented. Secondly, we are to be known. Thirdly, we are to be aware. We must always be aware, for the Lord is at hand. Now, some translations break the sentence and attach the Lord is at hand to the, the next verse. Uh, if, you, if you're looking at the punctuation in the ESV, that's how it's, it's laid out. Other translations keep it all within verse 5. Uh, but, but if you read the, the paragraph as a whole, the, the Lord is at hand, that phrase, the Lord is at hand, stands alone. It really does. Uh, before it, we have commands that are specific to us. We have, following it, commands that are specific to us. But right here in the middle, the Lord is at hand. That's not a command, right? It's a statement of fact that, that should influence how we follow these other commands, So what does it mean? that? Why did Paul put this as an apex, kind of in the middle of this list of commands? Well, I think it's because it's supposed to influence all of these commands that are around it. So it certainly in influences uh, where we are today in verse 5. Uh, to be honest, it should influence where we were last time in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Why? Because the Lord's at hand. And it's going to influence the commands that follow. So by having it in the middle like that, uh, makes it impact uh, more than just what's immediately in the context. So what does the verse mean when it says here that the Lord is at hand or the Lord is nearby? Does Paul mean God is watching, so you better watch out? I don't think so. There are plenty of passages in the New Testament that are clear warnings about God disciplining us when we don't do what we're supposed to do when we don't obey, when we don't live uh, according to his will. But there's really no such tone like that here in chapter 4 of Philippians. So I don't think he's saying, uh, remember, God's watching, e even though that is true, right? Okay. Um, there are other ways that we can understand this phrase, the Lord is near, uh, that do fit the context of our passage, so let's look at them. Some have understood it to mean that Jesus is coming soon. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, for Jesus is near. He's coming soon. That's true, isn't it? It's more true today than it was yesterday. Maybe not more true. It's closer today than it was yesterday. It's closer for us than it was for Paul. But the early church, even in Paul's day, believed that Jesus was returning soon. And... You know, when you're in God's timetable and eternity is your timeline, soon can mean thousands of years, and so far it is meant to thousand years. 
Okay. But Jesus is coming soon. Knowing that Jesus is coming soon should motivate us to endure hardship and to continue to have this relatively pleasant descriptor of us as we have here in verse 5, that we would be found as reasonable or gracious. Knowing that the adversity that, that, that we're supposed to respond to with reasonableness and graciousness is a temporary adversity helps us, doesn't it? We can endure a lot when we know there's an end point, right? I don't know if you've been following the news, but there's terrible earthquake over a week ago in the Middle East. And uh, I saw a news report how uh, at, at one of those sites where the building had just completely collapsed, seven full days afterwards, they were finding people alive in the rubble yet. Can you imagine being that individual trapped but hearing the equipment, hearing the, the piles of rubble being moved, knowing that if I can just hold on a little bit longer, they're going to get to me too. Hope can be sustained even in the harshest of situations. The Christian always has a reason for hope. We always have reason for hope. We don't always feel it, do we? But we always have reason for hope. And that's actually getting into the next verse, so I'm going to stop with that line of thinking right there. But, but we always have a reason for hope, and that hope should influence our attitudes and our responses. Shortly before her 100th birthday, Verly Shoup shared with me a verse that she was memorizing. It may have been one of the last ones that she memorized before she saw Jesus face to face. I don't know. It was 2 Corinthians 4.16. I remember it quite clearly. I preached it at her funeral. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. I love that contrast. This light weight of affliction, this light affliction. What we have in front of us that, that seems insurmountable is actually a light affliction preparing us for the weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look into the things that are seen, but not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or passing, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Verlie was greatly anticipating seeing her Savior and exchanging the pains of her life for the eternal weight of glory. And just a few months later, her anticipation became reality. You and I always have You don't have to be 100 to look forward to heaven. We should all be looking forward to heaven. The Lord is at hand. He is coming soon. Another theological sense in which we could understand the phrase, the Lord is at hand, is that his presence is with all believers at all times. That too is a legitimate way to understand this verse. One commentator said it this way, Ignorance of the providence of God is the cause of all impatience. 
let that mull around in your mind just a moment. Ignorance of the, the providence of God or the sovereignty of God is the source of our impatience. Why do we get frustrated and respond poorly in situations and then get known as being someone who's irritable and, uh, and impatient? Well, it's because we don't really realize that God's in control. We often become disheartened because we don't recognize, first of all, that God's in control, but secondly, that he cares for us. In other words, when you're stuck at home because of a snowstorm, instead of doing what you're planning for the day, God planned that for you. When you're stuck alongside the road because your car broke down and all the emotions and anger that goes with that, God planned that for you. And he cares for you. He is sovereign. He has control over every event in our lives. And knowing this will help us, will help keep us from stressing out or being irate because of the circumstances in our experience. And we will have this reputation that Paul is talking about, that we would be known as reasonable to everyone. To be known as reasonable as God's word intends for us in today's verse requires intentional thought and action, doesn't it? Because even as blood-bought, redeemed children of God, we need to be reminded that the way we respond to people, the way that we interact with people, we have to work on, don't we? Because salvation sets us right with God, removes our sin, places it on Jesus, and yet we still sin, right? We still respond poorly to others. We must be continually aware of God's presence and provision on our behalf so that we will have this positive reputation that our verse calls today. We remain faithful to Christ by our godly reputation. We're to be others-oriented. We are to be known, and we are to be aware of God's presence and action in our lives. So how does this play out? Well, it means when that snowstorm hits, when that car breaks down, we don't stress out. It means when our team loses the final football game of the season or our least favorite driver wins the first race of NASCAR this today. I, I'm not foretelling the future, I don't know. When things don't go our way in life, how do we respond? Now, sporting events seem silly, but have you seen how wrapped up people get in sporting events? We as believers in Christ ought to respond in a gracious and gentle and kind manner when sports don't go our way. And when they do. It means when life gets hard, when life gets really hard, that cancer diagnosis or, or, that, or the business is, is failing and is going completely under, whatever it is, when life gets really hard, we continue to trust God and it shows people see it. Let your reasonableness be known by everyone or known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Tonight we're going to take this application a step further. Our reputation is a good start. We need to use that reputation and, and leverage it for gospel conversations with others. So that's where we're heading tonight. I encourage you to come back tonight. Let's close in a word of prayer. 
Father, help us to reflect our Savior well. And that's what it means to have the mind of Christ, is to, to act and think in a manner that is congruent with who Jesus is. And when we do that, we will be showing Jesus to a world around us. We will be, uh, and we'll be encouraging believers around us when we so live. So Father, help us to have this type of godly reputation that is known by all so that you might be glorified and that your name would be praised. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. Please stand as you're able.